Welcome, my name is Johannes, and I am the host of this show. Today I am here with Flavio Azevedo, who is the founder at Antler. Antler is the investor backing the world's most driven founders, from days zero to greatness. Founded on the belief that people innovating is the key to building a better future, Antler partners with people across six continents to launch and to scale high-potential startups that address meaningful opportunities and challenges. Knowing that exceptional founders can come from anywhere with any background, Antler has offices in 25 cities, including Austin, New York, London, Berlin, Stockholm, Bangalore, Jakarta, Singapore, Seoul, Tokyo, and Sydney. Their global community backs people from the beginning with co-founder matching deep business model validation, initial capital expansion, support, and follow-on funding, fueled by a personal passion that goes beyond traditional investing. Antler has helped create and invested in more than 600 startups across a wide range of industries and technologies, with the goals of backing more than 6,000 by 2030. So now I want, I want to begin with the first question for you, Flavio. And uh, this is a little bit of a long one, so please bear with me. Yeah, so um, I, I've recently spoken with um, two, two guests. This is uh, Ashish, Kumar, uh, Ashish Kumar Singh and Somil Gupta, who um, Ashish was speaking about the uh, metaverse, in particular in the United um, uh, Arab Emirates and how he was involved in it and also the, the many uh, use cases that surprised me in some ways because I myself am a bit of a skeptic of the use of the metaverse. And then uh, he was talking a lot about um, decentralization in, 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 this, uh, in, in, in our conversation there, uh, which I think is highly related to the blockchain and to crypto. As, and um, and uh, Somil Gupta was talking about the sharing economy which again has links to the blockchain and to crypto. And so these, these two terms, blockchain and crypto, they're, they're, they're being thrown around by, by all sorts of people and you hear them being addressed. And, and it is not always clear for everyone in my audience, I think. Um, at least it's also not completely clear to, to me until I looked into it more deeply uh, recently. Um, what, what the difference is between these terms and how they are interlinked and even the historical uh, profundity of it, how important has it, what, what kind of uh, potential changes can this actually bring to our society, uh, as well as also where, where, these, where these concepts are rooted in history. So if you could please give us, uh, our listeners and myself, a bit of a, a lesson with respect to uh, blockchain and cryptocurrencies and what, what the difference and the relations between them are. 
Okay, so let's starting with uh, it's not because um, especially with um, this new space of distributed ledger technology, blockchain and crypto are concepts that are very correlated. But uh, separating the origins, crypto becomes from comes from cryptography. That is a method to add um, privacy and security to information, and that is also something that is very uh, used in this space. The blockchain. Uh, by itself is a, a digitalization of something that is very old, that is the, the ledger books, the old ledger books that were used for accounting. Basically, is a book that registers all the transactions between entities, between parties. Uh, in this case, we can also make a bridge with, with the peer-to-peer -peer economy, where each party can be one peer, and you can, um, with this distributed ledger technology, it's, it makes you able to to transfer value directly between one peer and another be, without the, the need for any middleman any third party uh, it's just by the the network itself brings the trust for that uh, and security uh, needed for that transaction um so yeah more or less on this kind of high level those two concepts are separated but um they are now they are very correlated on the distributed ledger technology because it, it came with Bitcoin, was Bitcoin was the first, uh, let's say, use case that correlates um, this and other areas uh, because there is a technical part where we can associate the cryptography and the blockchain itself, but it's also an economic part that is very important, some game theory principles that are also used uh, in Bitcoin. Um, I don't know if maybe this, uh, this was, was helpful or, or not. To address your uh, your question, yeah. So I, I was also looking for this sort of the, the ledger versus the 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 money itself. So if you could tell okay. us a bit more about how does it relate to okay. So how, for example, is Bitcoin different from a dollar? Okay. So I, I have mm. some good ideas, but it would be nice if you if it came from you and if you could give us a bit of a big difference how how crypto cryptography came to be involved with money and and it seems to be. Bitcoin is a currency, sort of like like a dollar in a way. Mm. How do these these things come together? How did how did uh, okay. cryptography suddenly appear on the scene? And then also with with the ledger, when when did that start? What kind of revolution has that caused in the past? When when the ledger even was invented? And then if we could, know we've talked about this a little bit, so I know you're you're a bit knowledgeable in this regard as well. Just give us a bit of an overview for for our listeners and for myself to to see how okay. how it fits into history. Okay, a, so how how it might change us also how how to what degree what can we expect how revolutionary. Okay, so um, that's why I normally I, I like the term distributed ledger technology because it can be like a kind of umbrella that packs all these concepts. Because like I said, the the blockchain by itself is just a kind of database of transactions. It registers information um, on um, on a ledger. The, it's the ledger that registers the information. The, the cryptography is to add security and privacy to the information that is stored and also ownership to guarantee that there is a, the, the authenticity of the person that is writing, that is making that transaction. Um, now going back and explain why these things were combined in Bitcoin, how it was created. Uh, normally, for me to, to explain what is Bitcoin, it's easy to explain what is money. That is something that um, all humans pursue, but uh, most of them don't are even aware of what is money, in fact. Because money was, um, was invent is a technology and was invented to improve the barter system that existed in the past. 
Um, basically, it was a mean to facilitate the transactions. So, you instance, if you have uh, one, you were a, a producer of apples and someone had chickens, and if you want to transact, um, it was not easy to transact between those two components because maybe you need to, to divide them in half or things like that. So it was not easy. So you need to find a technology that would work as an intermediate for that transactions. So basically money has three main functions. is a unit of account, basically to attribute value to things. A medium of exchange so that you can transact things between uh, different parties and also a store of value. Uh, so these are the, the store of value through both time and space. Um, now comparing Bitcoin with uh, what we call the fiat currency, because normal, the dollar, the British pound, the euro, all of these are fiat currencies. And maybe it's another important concept to explain. Um, in the past, the one of the first... Um, well, in the past, it was used, uh, um, how can I say, scarce uh, assets, for instance, salt and seashells and those kind of things that were scarce for us in the mountains was used as money because it was something a kind of tokens that you can exchange exchange due to the rarity it has value on the places where it, where it was rare but through time um in the most ancient form of like i say sound money sound money is a concept from austrian economics uh it was gold gold was the um, how can i say is the money that is more, uh, can I say, that throughout time has has kept this value, even raised this value. Um, but it's not easy to, to move, it's not easy to, tra to transform. Um, but in fact, it's also not easy to, it's not possible to counterfeit money. So it keeps that kind of, of rarity that also is one of the characteristics that reverts value to, to money, economic value to, to money. Um, during during many years until uh, 1971, uh, gold was used to back the creation of uh, what we call of uh, of currency of uh, even in in coins or paper. Basically, um, you needed to have X amount of gold in order to produce X amount of paper money or or or, or coins or whatever the form you you wanted. Uh, but in 1971, Richard Nixon basically depact um gold to to the from to, to back the the creation of the of money to back the value to create money so basically not only defaulted on this debt but uh it breaks the connection be, uh, well, of having something real and uh that has some some real value associated to the money that was created and since then uh, that's why we call fiat money. It's just money that is based on the trust that people, the users, have on the entities that govern us and that produce the, the, that money. Uh, one of the issues with that is that uh, since there's no really uh, real value backing the, that um, that money, you can create print to infinity uh, that money because you, you are not consuming a resource. There's no limit for that. That's one of the benefits that Bitcoin has. Bitcoin has a finite supply. There can only be 21 million Bitcoins. You cannot print more than that. So that kind of guarantees um, the scarcity of, uh, of an asset compared to what we have in fiat. There is no, no scarcity on the, the existing uh, monetary system. Um, well, 
this is a kind of of base. Now there is different points that uh, depend. I don't know which topics you prefer me to go more specific from this kind of overall um, talk between the difference of crypto blockchain and also from fiat to to Bitcoin. Um, oh, okay. I can I try to create what what was the reason why Bitcoin um, was so and it is so success, successful even though it is very volatile. So that's why you see uh, it going X amounts uh, of, uh, of, of value going up and then um, the kind of crash uh, X uh, with 80, 85% of devaluation of the currency. That is also because there is still some lack of liquidity in the, in, in the market uh, because with more liquidity will reduce the volatility of the asset. But in fact, uh, and going back to that main uh, characteristics of money, in terms of um, store of value in the last 12 years, Bitcoin has been the best uh, performing asset. And uh, in that period is the best performing asset of the human history. So it's not only during that, but the performance during that period surpasses all other assets that ever existed. Um, one of the things that Bitcoin uh, and why it uses the blockchain, because the, the, this concept of ledger is very old. Even some old societies um, that you, the Yap, uh, for a citizen from the Yap Island, they used to, uh, they used a, a kind of, there was a scarce big rocks, round rocks that existed on the, those islands. And due to that scarcity, they create a kind of, um, economic value and ownership, for instance, you if you were owner of that rock, you can have some rights, special rights that people that didn't have uh, could not. And what they do is, since the rock was too big, every time there was a transaction of ownership uh, of that uh, of that asset, the community will go there and then you will see someone telling, okay, this rock is not mine, now it's from the other person. And then the community itself will be the, I'm going to say, the trust and the guarantee that was that uh, that uh, transaction was real. Um, Can I just ask you one question? So if something is limited in supply, mm -hmm. like land, for example, like we, we have this example in, in nature, land, right? Land is, is, is limited in supply. But you have you have an increasing demand on it because more people are in the world and they, or at least it was that way. Now, I don't know, in some areas we have decreases uh, of populations, but let me not get lost in this. But the thing is that if, if you have more dollars chasing the same amount of land, in, in, in other words, the land will then go become expensive relative speaking to, to relatively speaking to other things. I guess this is going on in, in this example. So artificially, your supply is limited by uh, I don't know. What were you saying? Twenty thousand, uh, twenty-one thousand Bitcoin? Yeah, the, something like that. Basically, it may. There is another thing um, with Bitcoin because uh, we can see uh, Bit like uh, TCP/IP was a protocol for transfer of value uh, of uh, information. Bitcoin is a protocol for the transfer of value, um, and there are a lot of rules called the consensus uh, consensus rules that uh, that govern all the the. Um, the functions and all the features of the of the net of the bitcoin system and one thing that it that it has programmatically is every four years there is the, an event called the halving event so basically what it happens is it decreases by half uh, the number of bitcoins that are created um and by the way um 
every 10 minutes there is the the, the block time every 10 minutes there are uh, new bitcoins that are minted and basically they are minted to reward the miners that are uh, uh, protecting the network um, and so every four years the amount of those bitcoins that are created they um, they decrease in half uh, so it's a um, uh, deflationary currency unlike the fuel currency and now we are seeing all the inflation that is happening most of it or a big part is related to supply chain issues but another big part is still related to this uh, continuous printing of money the british pound is the most ancient fiat currency in circulation now and it has devalued more than 98 percent since its inception um but on the contrary i mean wouldn't you also want so so bitcoin if if, if the demand for bitcoin becomes ex, as, such as the dollar is right, mm -hmm. very large but the amount of Bitcoin never can can increase past a certain threshold and it, and it increases at a, a, a slowing schedule, then what, what that means is that the deflation will be enormous. Right? So the, the value, the increasing value of this asset will continuously increase, right? Uh, pretty much there is no bound on it. And so why is that a particularly... So, so the, the, the reason why we have the Federal Reserve Bank is to be able to basically be able to to give a bit of slack and so to allow uh, with a policy intervention with a policy goal in mind uh, which is to to either keep inflation in check or to to boost the economy which some people are against or for uh, either one of those but the point is that you have this lever you have a one-dimensional lever that you can use as a policy instrument and and so you can in a way deflate the currency value vis-a-vis -vis to the to the goods goods and services at the end of the day are the the true the true currency the chickens are what you want right you don't want necessarily uh, so, so you're using this currency as uh, if this currency becomes ever increasing in value you suddenly want to ho hold on to it more of course because you want to buy less chickens and you might even starve yourself to death because you're thinking oh my god I'm becoming rich if i if i eat this chicken then i will lose this potential value and so it can it can be, be, become quite absurd in a way and it's not necessarily clear to me why you would want an ever inflating or yeah an ever inflating asset i guess it is inflating relative to other things right so why you would want that in particular and not not have that freedom of leverage two things um as we can see with the recent things that have been happening with the inflation, having central banks managing that, that lever has not been very good. Uh, second is a centralized power that only a few people on that central banks, they can decide how to use the, the, the lever. So, uh, and that kind of creates a uh, kind of um, not equilibrium. If you look into the kind of game theory, there's not equilibrium between a few people that can decide on what happens to the money to the rest of society that has no power on that and just suffers the consequences for the good and for the bad. Um, but in, in case of, of Bitcoin, uh, there, and also related because there's 21 million Bitcoins, but one important thing is that the Bitcoin can be divided in many uh, decimal cases so you and you don't need and in the future most transactions won't be you you won't be and still nowadays most transactions not one entire bitcoin there are small units called satoshis that you can transact 
um, uh, using those, those those units. There is also kind of second layer because Bitcoin has a base protocol. There are also other applications like uh, Lightning Network that permits that there are uh, to exist many um, transactions using Bitcoin without real transfers of of Bitcoin, and that also uh, the scalability of that. Um, Bitcoin in the end is an experiment. And we, we, give, we have to, to look always like that. So it, only in uh, 2140, I think, the last Bitcoins will be mined. So only by then we'll see, okay, now there is only... In fact, there is less than 21 million Bitcoins because many of those have been... The private keys uh, have been lost. This is also another uh, very important aspect of, of <laughs> Bitcoins is the private and public keys. And... Uh, the self-custody of this recent cases like FTX uh, is a big example of why it's yeah. important for you to have your own custody of your or assets unless the ones that you are trading okay those ones you need if you need to have an on exchange if you don't use decentralized exchanges because there are already also some solutions for that you should have the ownership of your um, of your uh, crypto but um in fact, yeah, it's a It's not continuously deflationary because, yeah, it will be when there is the, we reach the 21 million, there will be no more Bitcoin. But the um, compared, and we we should compare to what is the existing solution that we are using that is fiat money. At least in Bitcoin, there is is scarce. You cannot print it indefinitely, and also more than that. You can know in 30 years, 40 years, with a small error margin, how many Bitcoins will be in existence. In the fiat system, you cannot. In the fiat system, you don't know what will be. Everybody even was, uh, yesterday was the Fed raising rates. You don't know in the next month what will be the, the, the rates uh, for money in the money supply associated to that. In Bitcoin, yeah. you know that. But But if you were... If you were to look, compare Bitcoin to to something that is also in, in uh, limited supply, which we do have in our regular economy, land that is, you can see some negative effect of this uh, of this limitation of this resource because newcomers, for example, if I had come to London, let's say forty years ago, I could have bought uh, the, the same place that I ended up paying for a, a lot more, uh, for a lot less, right, and then. You know, but but now at this at this level, a lot of people are already priced out of living in London. Now they are priced out; they cannot be part of this uh, of of this city now, because the this this limitation in um, in supply of land and housing is causing them to be priced out to ever cheaper areas. And and so something like that could happen in Bitcoin as well, where you're accidentally wealthy because. You were the early guy. So why does earliness, so what I'm saying, what I'm trying to get to is why should you be rewarded for being early? Why, I hear this a lot in the, in the blockchain community, in the cryptocurrency community, that we should reward people for being early. Well, but why is that an ethic that we no, should reward? It, this is not a thing specific to, to Bitcoin. Once again, we should go to the technology adoption curve. Bitcoin is also a technology. So and like in every technology, like on the of internet, course. Early adopters were the main to enter, was the first to get the knowledge, was the, the first ones to start that start building. So they leverage that early mm -hmm. entry into the into that ecosystem. So this is not a phenomenon, a phenomenon specific to 
uh, to Bitcoin. About this scarcity, but it is built in. It is built in, nevertheless, right? It, so it is like it is true, a technology. Is a, a technology the first? It's like, um, yeah, it's the the first uh, enters to the. Um, to the internet in the first companies, most many, many of them were destroyed because, in fact, for you, if you entered in the beginning of, of Bitcoin, you need to truly believe it because you have passed in several cycles. Yeah, it has raised a lot in value, but it has had several crashes every more or less four years. That is the cycle also related to the halving. So you really need to be a true, a true believer on the technology. And like any investment is also a kind of risk. So yeah, it's true, and uh, it creates a kind of it can create a kind of unfair field for the other people. And I also agree with that part, and this is one of the reasons why I have other project that uh, I, I've been researching for some uh, some some time. That is okay. Uh, how we can uh, make that people can gain economic tokens? Because one important thing that Bitcoin brought to us was the, the notion, the abstraction of economic value. What is behind? What is the real value be, be, uh, behind the currency? Uh, and basically, once again, we go into the, the fate because Bitcoin has all these, um, these characteristics that uh, make them be scarce uh, with a, a finite supply, with known rules. But you always also you need to have trust in the system for, for, to use it and to keep it. Uh, in the value, so yeah, we can say that is the it will be unfair because the first ones will will have millions. We, there is a a, um, a very common saying that uh, there is more than twenty one millionaires in the world, and there is only twenty one million bitcoins. So there is less than one bitcoin mm -hmm. for each millionaire. So in fact, it can uh, it can. <laughs> but the truth is that Bitcoin brought this distributed ledger technology and open. Uh, a lot of opportunities for people to to transform their skills and their knowledge and produce economic value and be rewarded by by uh, by that. Um, so you you mentioned the word trust, so uh, you know not to get it confused with this idea of trustlessness, but trustlessness is something that sh surely shows up a lot in uh, in this discourse as well. The word trustless. Could you explain uh, a little bit to my audience and myself what what do you mean by that? Why why do I not need trust when or why, what does it mean to be trustless no, and, and how does that play? You into need it? the the fact in here is that in this area uh, code is law, so in fact is the, all the the um, once again going back to Bitcoin the system is designed with the proper incentives and punishments in a way that all the participants. Uh, are incentive to act in a productive and collaborative way instead of trying to to abuse the network. So for instance, we have um, three kind of big uh, segments. We have the developers, the development team of, of it. Well, Bitcoin still nowadays is one another good thing that Bitcoin has is there is no CEO, there is no company behind, and this relates to the concept of decentralization that we also talk is not centralized in one organization, traditional organization. It was created by a person or a group of people with a, a pseudonym of Satoshi Nakamoto uh, that was um, uh, it was part of the also from the the CryptoPunks team. I 
nobody knows it. Going back to the trust, also we say is don't trust, verify. So you will, you can verify by your own everything that happens because um, unlike the financial existing financial system that you cannot monitor uh, all the transactions that happen in uh, in Bitcoin and in this. Uh, technology sector all the transactions are public well if we're going to public because there are also some private blockchains but um i won't consider them as a as really blockchain on the real concept that we 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 should use it uh, but all the transactions are public mm -hmm. and you can monitor every transaction that can happen and even for the case that uh, bitcoin that's why we say don't trust verify you can run your own bitcoin node to validate, to verify the transaction. So without using any third party, any other node, you can use your own Bitcoin node to verify the transactions. But like I was saying about the... Okay, this is a great jump off point. Berners-Lee, so Berners-Lee, uh, the inventor of uh, the web, um, or part of it, part of, of what, yeah. uh, part of that early early team of, of developers, he, he was recently saying that, pointing out to this exact thing as a problem in the blockchain you don't have privacy because you don't have true privacy because your everything is publicly available all the information is public and so what about privacy as, a, as an important well um, is the transactions that are registered all the bit the, the addresses the, the 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 sender and receiver but Bitcoin is pseudonymous so you don't have your uh, idea name for you to create a Bitcoin wallet you don't need to do any KYC any AML process you don't need to provide any document any real name you just need to use the software and then you you generate your own private key and have the the public key and now associating with this private public cryptography with a traditional finance. The public key is like your bank account. It's something that you share with another person that wish, that uh, wants to, to send you some Bitcoins. The private key is like your code, is your bank account, your PIN code. You never share it with nobody because it's the, the only way that you guarantee that only you have access to your wallet and to your Bitcoins. So it's another thing that Bitcoin has that is better than the traditional system because when you have access to a bank account, you're not owner of that money. You have access to a bank account that has that money. In Bitcoin, you're the only one that right. controls access to your account. So, for instance, in the traditional finance, like it happened in Cyprus uh, in the last uh, debt crisis, people that have their money on, on the bank accounts, they, the, the government stole, basically stole part of their money. In Bitcoin, if you are the one that has your own your your coins stored on your private wall, and you have your own private key. Uh, you don't have that risk, so it's another. But then you can do a lot of tax evasion, right? I mean, so or or money laundering and things like that, right? Yeah, so uh, I, I can see this is like you know, this is the conflict between the private and not private. Yeah, like, but that's know, the you, part that, private, like I was saying, because it's pseudonymous, you don't have their ID. But uh, what it happens and why. Um, what the regulators and the entities they are pushing is for KYC and AML. And so what happens is because you need to use an X, well, you don't need, but most people, you're not obliged, there are alternatives, but you use, most people use uh, on crypto on uh, exchanges on ramps, basically to convert from fiat to crypto. And to use, to create accounts in there, you need to do KYC and AML. So they know who you are. They know 
the person that is responsible for that address and then going to the blockchain they can kind of backtrack and see okay uh, what were the, the transactions done to this. There are some things like coin mixers that you can mix so that is not that easy. There are also some privacy coins that guarantee other level of privacy and security. Um, so, uh, yeah, but related to the kind of criminal use and those things, well, the currency still most used and best used for any legal activity is US dollars in cash. It still is, it always is. And in fact, in the past, uh, once again, like many technology was used for bad with bad purposes. Crypto, especially Bitcoin, was used for illegal activities. But now with this implementation of KYC, AML that are monitoring the off-ramps from crypto to fiat, um, it's not the smartest way to launder money or do any illegal activity on a system that all the transactions are registered and are public. So, um, for sure, it's not the most of activity. It's not illegal. So, this tension remains. So, this point that, that uh, Berners-Lee brings up, that it's not private, is, is a problem. At the same time, of course, if it were <clears throat> private, you could do tax evasion and money laundering. Um, but it, it, it's always, this tension is kind of un irresolvable. Oh. It's not something you can actually... Let's... Uh, let's uh... Once again, is okay. Like all technology, can be used for good or for bad. Um, for yeah. sure, crypto is not now with all this uh, KYC AML on exchanges because um, you still need to go still until Bitcoin is really has mass adoptions, or uh, if you go in some specific place like El Salvador and some specific merchants that you can transact directly in the in Bitcoin. You still need, for most cases, you still need to convert from uh, crypto to, to from Bitcoin to fiat, to USD, to euros, to to whatever. So, and that's at that point you are being monitored. So, once again, is not the smartest way, is not the best way to do. Then it's a lot easier to have a, a bag of cash and then transmit that without nobody because there's no register of that. There's no transaction. It's not on an immutable uh, ledger. Um, so is is not the best way for the privacy concerns. Yes, if you are um, you have a little bit more of technology literacy, there are ways for you to improve the privacy or even use some um, some specific privacy coins. That's why, for instance, in the past, in the dark, where Bitcoin was very used in the last years, is not the the, the currency most used in that uh, in that area. Is a privacy coin. Um, so once again, is but in fact, this gives power to the people and technology. You can monitor, you can try to manage and improve your privacy, something that you for sure you cannot have. And this relates for me with one of the biggest worries that uh, is coming related to this, this technology that is the central bank's digital currencies. Because central bank's digital currencies will permit the real big brother uh of your money there are already some experiences uh they are starting to talk i think is uh for instance in australia that even your access to the internet will be depending on the kind of social score like it already exists in china Pro yeah well one of the i think the the biggest threats that this technology may may bring and is the the creation of cbdc's basically the central bank's digital currencies 
that are already being developed by uh, most central banks uh, because that will be a system that will create a kind of big brother. Uh, it's the dream of the the surveillance system where all your transactions can be monitored and controlled. Um, so you will only be able to transact uh, where and when and with who the the central uh, banks and central regulators want. So you lose your, your liberty, your own financial liberty, your own economic liberty that you are being losing with fiat money in a way that... Uh, you are lo losing your economic value, but in this way is really uh, uh, stealing your right to how can I say to to transact to to interact uh, with uh, any and any person that you want. You will only be. But why would we allow this? Like in a democratic country, we probably wouldn't allow this, right? So is this because no, because they will. Uh, treat this like is something very good they will be very cheap for transactions that are main ways for them to implement it's not the first time that central planners implement new uh, monetary systems so even in a worst case there are some talks about the well especially in the covid about the possible debt jubilee you can see what is the world economic forum what carl schwab has been telling about in 2030 you will own nothing and you will be happy um this can be uh, even the kind of uh, universal basic income can be a kind of trojan horse to implement these kind of things uh offering money like the us did the the kind of chopper money but with a digital currency can be also a possible way to but, but wouldn't you need the require kind of a, a big conspiracy for this to to work i mean i mean of the sort i mean i'm a bit skeptical because i, I used to work at the federal reserve bank and I, I didn't see any such. I'm kind sorry of, uh, for you that <laughs> that being worse. No, but it exists. Uh, did you? In fact, the fiat, the monetary, the existing system is a scam uh, because basically, they know they are stealing your economic value through time because they are devaluing your currency. Uh, even when you were talking about that, uh, the problem of the pop, uh, the prices of properties. Yeah, one thing is the lack of, uh, let's say, the the limited, the scarcity of the resource. But another big fact is the once again devaluation of currency because most of things is not they are getting um, costlier to produce with the technology and the evolution. They are getting cheaper. The problem is that your currency is losing purchasing power because of the inflation. So. Um, the existing system is rigged. There is, because if you look at the fractional reserve banking, how all these things work, we can see this a giant big scam. In fact, it but, is. but you can always invest in something that beats inflation, right? So you, that's kind of the idea there. That but it's more just... than that, because you're already creating a gap. And, but for that, you need to know where to invest, how to invest. Uh, you're already creating a limitation. The quality of the money that people are, are using is not a very good quality because you are creating again. If you go into information theory, you are creating entropy in the system, and you are creating. But it's the same thing information as information so, so, so what's the difference between investing in a house and investing in a Bitcoin? Both, uh, like the, the Bitcoin can go down, can go crash eventually. It could happen, right? So people talk about that. That's a potential. But but uh, and also that could true be also true of land, but it's less likely because. Of this, well, of this natural limitation, right? So I guess this is this difference. So in Bitcoin, you have a, 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 an artificially limited supply 
of it. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you, if you buy a house, if you buy a house for yourself to live in or whatever, the, the, the expectations that it will be worth more when, when you retire are reasonable because there's a, a limited supply, similar kind of thing as what's going on with Bitcoin in land, right? So, so it's kind of a similar the, logic. It's not, you cannot relate to that because if you look in the past, maybe in the times of our grandparents, you need to look at, into the whole. Maybe with the average salary in maybe five years, four or five years, they will be able to buy a house. Nowadays, we cannot. So the, why was this discrepancy? Yeah. And this was not related to the, well, well, simply because, to the, the no, scarcity of land. No, 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 it is. No, no, it is not because it's not only houses. It's related to everything. All things are raising prices. What? Why? Well, are things uh, getting costlier to produce? No, they are getting cheaper with technology. It's easier. It's cheaper to produce. The problem is the purchase power, purchase power of your currency. You're always losing with fiat money. That's one of the. That's the well, biggest. Well, yeah, problem. we we know that inflation is there. I mean, that's that's not new. So we we we've known about inflation, but but the the, the reason. I mean, it's it's in some ways on purpose. In a way, and in, in, in some ways that that isn't necessarily. We've come to this, or at least the central banks have come to that. There's a certain acceptable level of inflation vis-a-vis, vis-a-vis um, uh, economic growth, because you're going to have over time. You're going to have a little bit more dollars chasing the same amount of goods and services over time, which means that that the money will will lose in value over time at a certain rate. But if you take out some of the money, or if you make it worth more by the supply thing, then what you will have is you will actually have a contraction. But all of that is synthetical because that doesn't really affect because we need back to the basics. The quality of the money, the value behind the money is non-existent. So you cannot say the value just by manipulating the, the, the tax rates. Also, you create an unfair system for people. Because when but, but there is no value Bitcoin, behind the Bitcoin, right? Is there? Is there? Is there no, no. The the value depends how you consider. It. For instance, consider it has been considered as a commodity. It's something that you invest electricity and equipment because the only way for you instead of you can either buy it or mine it. And to produce a Bitcoin, you need to invest X amount of uh, um, of money in both equipment and uh, in electricity to produce that. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and the, the thing where I say, what, why would you want to use a, a, a Bitcoin? Because you were comparing a Bitcoin with a house, mm-hmm. but you were comparing a more kind of speculative investment asset because it's about always oh, valuing or developing. But no, when you buy a house, because you want to live in it there. When you buy a Bitcoin, is because you believe in the future, the commerce will be digital, and you want to be your own. You have you not only want to have sound money that you will know what will be the rules in that financial system in the next 40, 50, 60, whatever, at least as long as you're living. Um, and also, you don't want to have a big brother and an uber surveillance on that. You instead, That's why um, it's the one of the biggest threats is CBDCs for human liberty, but can also be one of the biggest uh, push or forces for mass adoption of Bitcoin. And even maybe other privacy coins, because when you start seeing that you cannot transact, your because most of our money we don't receive, uh, we receive it to our bank accounts. So you have authorization to access an account that has some money. 
Mm-hmm. And this, when they create CBDCs, they give, okay, you are the you are the one in control of your account, but we can go there and steal your money, whatever we want. Mm-hmm. There are even some other things that are being discussed by the modern, modern money theorists that is putting expiration date on your money. So uh, to force people to spend their money. Do you want to use a system like that? I don't want it. Mm-hmm. I prefer Bitcoin. Because I know the rules of that. But, but I mean, your choices are right now be, beyond that, those two choices. So your, your choices also include buying land uh, or buying a house. But, or... it's not, uh, but it's not different because for, it's not a liquid asset. If you can mm. buy a house, you cannot sell it immediately or buy it immediately like you sure, can go with sure, a Bitcoin. Sure. There are fees. Um, but there's also and... fees involved. So what, is the, what are the fees going on in, in terms of Bitcoins? So how, how big of a problem are the fees? That's well, why the, I think the, immediately the, the, when you're talking about how to liquidity of mm-hmm. so, so, so Well, it's still because uh, for big value transactions, Bitcoin is very, very cheap. For you to buy a coffee, uh, it's very expensive. Let me say that way. But this is related to the scalability thing and all the, the amount of transactions. But there are already some solutions being built, uh, like the Lightning Network. So for you to do small transactions, you you too expensive for you because maybe for you to pay a coffee uh, why do you need so much hashing power a so secure network to do that simple transaction maybe it's not that a big risk uh, and maybe you don't need to register that on the Bitcoin blockchain so for instance the, lit- uh, the um, lightning network what they do is for instance you imagine you're uh, PayPal and Amazon and so there are a lot of transactions between those two entities Every one of them put X amount of Bitcoins in that lightning channel. And with that, they can do how many transactions that one inside of that total amount. But they can do all those transactions. And only when they, uh, they want, when they, for if they want or when they close the channel, then the difference between those two wallets will be registered on the Bitcoin blockchain. That creates that you can almost for no fees or very cheap fees, you can do transactions between entities. There are also other currencies, or, or cryptocurrencies, not Bitcoin, that you can transact with zero fees. Yeah, but, but what about, okay, so for transaction... But you, but... you miss, for you to have that, you lose some things. So, you lose so... some decentralization, you lose some security. So there's a little bit trade-off between those things. Yeah, I know, for sure, for sure. So this is like when you when you use it in the, in the general sense. But what if we come back to the comparison with the house? So if I bought a house for a million dollars, um, or I bought a million dollars worth of Bitcoin. If I buy, buy a house, it would take me a certain amount of time. So we, we know that buying Bitcoin could become almost, you can do it almost instantly. But say you take, took a million dollars and you wanted to buy like whatever a house would cost. And forget about financing and all of that for, for now, for simplicity's sake. Mm-hmm. If you were to wanted to involve uh, invest this in Bitcoin, how much would your transaction cost be on that compared to a house? Well, it will be a lot cheaper for sure than than the house, but uh, the specific amount it will depend then on the uh, the amount of transactions on the network, what is the load. So the is not a spe- you cannot say every Bitcoin transaction has the same uh, the same cost. It doesn't have it. It uh, it's a dynamic uh, variable related to the network condition at that moment. But in general, for sure, it's a lot cheaper that uh, buying or selling a house, uh, those kind of high available assets are a lot costly, or even sending um, 
more than one thousand dollars baby it's a lot is is a lot cheaper to do it in bitcoin than to win in uh, most methods even though there are some new apps some fintech that uh, provide better things for those smaller values but in general uh it's cheaper but the, in fact it's not um it was one and still is one of the selling points that many bitcoiners use it is the low transaction fees uh, but it depends on the scenario, so you cannot use that uh, that speech for all the use cases. It's not. Uh, it's more, I think, the value is really more about the trust, the transparency that exists in the system. Like I said, you are aware of the rules of the system before you enter it and while you are on it. While in the traditional finance, you, you don't know the rules. You may know, okay. well, you may know the rules, uh, more or less have some idea. But those rules can be rigged and they are rigged by raising or lowering interest rates and then the way the money is transferred because when we see, oh, okay, central banks, they lowered or raised interest rates. Who benefits from that? Always the banks, commercial banks, because even like it, it was in the in Eurozone, uh, the, the rates were negative. So basically, and that's one big example of why the system should be brought. The existing Wait, if the real rates are negative, then the banks lose, right? Because they are being paid. Exactly. They are being paid to borrow money. So how can you really think this system is okay? For sure not. Um, yeah. So once again, knowing all this, the problem is, and going back to the conspiracy theories, why these things like how money works and these basic things are not teached at schools? Because it's a lot easier to manipulate uninformed people. Um, but before you didn't have an alternative to the traditional financial systems, but Bitcoin now you have. And so, if I, honestly, I think if you know enough, you will prefer Bitcoin. I'm not saying to put all your money in Bitcoin. No, but... Um, Consider it at least as a, a backup plan for what may come uh, in the future and maybe not so far future. So then I have another question. So what is Ethereum? So Ethereum is another currency and it has brought to to the table new, which is a smart contract, right? And could you okay. could, could you chat a little bit about that? Like what, what, you know, compared to say Bitcoin, what you can now do that you weren't mm -hmm. able to do before? Okay, so well, let's is once again is about the the use case. There are many people. Oh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, Ethereum by itself. Ethereum is the network. The currency is Ether. Um, the different the use case for Bitcoin is money, monetary system transfer of money. Bitcoin, it uh, abstracts to to uh, in the, on a higher level to in order with smart contracts that are not as smart in fact because smart contracts are not the new. Uh, for instance, every every coffee machine has a kind of smart contract because a smart contract is a simple rule if then else. So it's not that smart. <laughs> the difference is that with Ethereum, they they uh, they have tried to create a virtual machine so that you can build decentralized system so that you can put those rules in the decentralized system. So it's not on a single computer that you are using. It's not a centralized point. It's on a distributed network. Um, and with that, you can start building um, decentralized apps. Um, in fact, most of the innovation of this space has been built on top of Ethereum uh, because Bitcoin use case is money, even though it can be used because, for instance, like a, 
the ERC20 that are token. You can use Ethereum to create new coins, but in fact, it's tokens. If we abstract the concept, it's tokens. Uh, in Bitcoin, you can also use colored coins, but it's not. It was not designed for that. So Ethereum um, is a very use case for that. And uh, all the the concepts of the DeFi, decentralized finance, the non-fungible tokens, even the ICOs, because even though it was a bubble, and once again, is related to the wrong usage by bad actors. Mm -hmm. Um, ICOs were, were a very good uh, innovation that happened on top of Ethereum. So Ethereum is a platform to build decentralized uh, apps. Okay, great. Uh, so it, it has contributed a bit more than just the ledger as well. So you can you can have... Maybe... It uses the ledger on a different way. Instead of uh, storing uh, trans value transactions of coins, is uh, it stores um, uh, computer... Not computer, it stores states, uh, transactions of states in the machine, the, the EVM. That's, that's definitely an important note there because, yeah, uh, um, how it uses the ledger. Um, and so what, what I wanted to say, uh, what I wanted to say last then is I wanted to say, okay, what else can you do with this ledger other than currency? So as we're moving from crypto, let's say, to, to the blockchain. I know that, that crypto is more or less not possible without the blockchain. Mm -hmm. It requires the blockchain. But the other way may not be true. So you, you could probably build things with a ledger that doesn't require the use of any kind of currency. So could you tell us maybe a bit about some some um, uh, use cases in this, some, some things that are exciting to you, uh, mm -hmm. developments in the area of, of just blockchain without crypto? True and very important is most of the currencies that exist in the projects they sh they don't require a, a, to a token a currency. It's just a way for, for the founders to uh, to raise some money, some other things, because most of the use cases you won't need uh, you you won't need that. So one of the advices that I give to people beyond the first one that is not your keys, not your coins. Always store your coins in your own wallet and where you only have your private key, don't share it. Um, in this case, in most of the, the projects, look into the tokenomics of the project. Uh, is it deflationary? Is it inflationary? Because there are no Bitcoin was deflationary. For instance, Ethereum was not, but they uh, added a kind of a burn mechanism to try to create a mechanism so it can also be a develop uh, develop um, developing currency depending on the the usage of the of the system. Um, so most of I would say that. 98% maybe of the existing coins, I won't say the, the bad name, but it's uh, scam coins, let's say like that. Mm -hmm. So most of the end will be important for the space. For in this case of FTX was also, a, it's important, it was, it's hard on the short term for many people and for the market, but it's important on the long term because it helped us clean some of these uh, scam projects and so that liquidity can be focused and money be focused on the true valuable projects. In terms of use cases, because that's how I look into these projects, for sure, Bitcoin, number one. Uh, Ethereum, there are, and, and the concept of Ethereum is very good and it can be expanded to a lot more innovation, a lot more things. And that's why there are a, a lot of competitors of Ethereum. And even though in terms of performance and other features, 
Many of them are better than Ethereum. Ethereum is still the one that has the most value on it, not only by the developers community, but also for the projects and all the tokens in there. Uh, like Ethereum, this concept of building decentralized systems. Uh, also Chainlink. Chainlink is a Oracle system. Basically, if you want to put everything on the blockchain, even though I don't think, I don't believe that everything should be on the blockchain, but many things will benefit of going to the blockchain. Um, it will be important to have this kind of oracles to act as a proxy between the physical world and the digital world. Could you, so, could you break that down uh, a little bit for me and the listeners? What is an oracle exactly and how do you use it? Oracle is a system that basically it collects information from the real world and uh, transmit it uh, into the, the digital world, let's say. In this case, the oracles, they are providing trusted. They are, once again, different than Bitcoin. They don't mind. They use proof of stake. Uh, there is a different incentive so that uh, the information is reliable, the information that is being provided. But yeah, basically, it's to collect information from the real world and uh, make it available on the digital world. I see. So that's one of the use cases. Even the concept of NFTs, and maybe now, since we are closing to make a connection with the metaverse that we also talked briefly in the in the beginning, yeah, uh, metaverse by itself is nothing new and is not is not something that came with crypto and Bitcoin. Uh, it happened. It was it's something from the last century. Uh, it was even began was called the meta realms. Uh, it has been explored more in terms of uh, AI, uh, AI, no, sorry, um, AR and VR. Um, but in fact, what uh, what the pre uh, what this distributed ledger technology uh, can bring to this space, especially the the transfer once again of economic value and also ownership of assets, uh, because for instance, you can. Uh, there's many kind of like GameFi there, for instance, in a game where you can win a special, as a special sword or equipment or whatever, you can not only resell it to, to someone else, that you may even use it on other games, for instance, because it's transferable, that asset between different, let's say, uh, metaverses. or uh, Because I don't believe it will be one metaverse will be different ones. Let's see the interoperability that will happen. Yeah. Um, well, this is important yeah, for commerce more than even games. So I, I spoke with Ashish Kumar Singh on this exact topic who has really tried to convince me that the metaverse is, is, is primarily or should primarily be, in fact, a, a place of business rather than a place of... Well, well there, there are, of course, you know, lots of gamers, but... You know, since I, for example, I'm not a gamer, why would I be interested in the metaverse? I don't, honestly, I don't agree. That's why, once again, I don't agree. It's more than that. It should be a place for interactions between uh, agents. If we abstract to that level. Maybe you don't know, but maybe it will be easier for you. Okay, with the existing interface, it's not that easy, but maybe... If you could be interacting with an avatar with your friends or with your WhatsApp group or whatever group that you have on the metaverse, maybe it will be more interesting because you can have different kind of interactions. Because maybe they can react to something that you say instead of just having the simple text. So if we abstract, it's not only business, it's one of the layers of the metaverse, but it's a lot more than that. Even educating education is very important and very engaging if using the metaverse. For instance, I'm doing... Um, a free uh, massive open online course from University of Nicosia. Uh-huh. It's about NFTs and metaverse. I already did one about cryptocurrencies. 
and they have uh, they already they are building their own metaverse so that students can engage, can have our own chat rooms, can interact. So it's not only business. If we are looking just to the business layer, we are already filtering some of the possible benefits of the metaverse. We should abstract the. But we're also filtering concept. some costs, I think. So if we're getting into this the way that Facebook or Meta, as it calls it, envisions it, will bring, I think, a lot of social costs with it as well. In, in in the case of the, depends yeah but i mean once again it depends yeah. if you control your own data that's the part that's why it's important the and it's important the layers because even if you go only for the business if the user cannot control his own data his own privacy you're already losing part of your liberty so that's why it's very important and that's why for me, at least, I never believe it that I don't think I will ever create an account on a Facebook metaverse, whatever it may be. Uh, because for me, it will have to be something that I feel secure to be in there and I know I won't be losing my liberty. Because once you go there, you may ask, and people that are not aware, they may provide too much information. They already provide, because if you see the social, the way people use social networks, they provide too much information. Because they are not aware that once you put it online, it's for uh, it's always there and can be used for good or for bad. Okay, so I fully agree with that. Um, so, but but um, but I, I don't see too many use cases outside of business that are interesting for myself personally to be part of the metaverse because I I, I love being part of the real world. As I was telling um, Ashish Kumar Singh as well, and we came to this conclusion to say there, there is an importance of balance and, and to make sure that we still value the real world and nature and the environment, in, in, in fact. So I can see a lot of problems with that, which brings me to this question, uh, which is also another one that is related to what you always hear about when the discussion falls to the uh, crypto and uh, and the blockchain, is this other concept of, of proof of stake versus proof of um a proof of work could you tell me about the difference um between the two and why that is an important uh, aspect of this discussion yeah basically they use different uh, incentives uh, for to create a kind of game theory environments of the agents in the in the network proof of work basically is where you mine. proof of work also builds on a, an old concept from it Proof of work was originally created to, or the algorithm on the base was originally created to avoid spam of emails. So basically, before you, for you to be able to send an email, you needed to provide a kind of proof of work before that. So this way you could avoid the spamming. And it is used for Bitcoin for what? Because um, what do you mean by proof of work what, in this case? I still don't know what it exactly means from, from the... It, 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 it depends. On the case of Bitcoin, it's basically solving a puzzle, mathematical puzzle. You need to find a specific number. So the, the miner in the network that finds that, that solves that puzzle first gives the, uh, he rece he grants the, um, the capability to add new transactions to the blockchain, to the Bitcoin blockchain. Mm. And that's why he is paid, he receives the new meeting coins if it is done. But what in fact that happens is, okay, it tries to add the transactions and then th that block goes to validators to see if the transactions agree with the consensus rules or not. So, oh, if I not, see. He is so, so what happens is that this goal of only of phasing out the printing of new uh, crypto, of new Bitcoin in this case, is, is related to the difficulty of these puzzles. <clears throat> is that right? So... It become no, more difficult? No, no, it's different. What happens is uh, the difficulty is uh, is adjusted. 
So every more or less every because the target is to produce a block or to add a block every 10 minutes. So what it happens is if you produce a block in less than 10 minutes, the difficulty will have to be raised so that you um, can go with the 10 minutes. If you take too much time, you have to be lowered so that you can keep with 10 minutes. But no, in fact, the the the, the, the proof of work is what provides security in a way that um, it makes it harder for someone to gain the benefit of adding new coins. And you need to invest money and a lot of electricity nowadays to win that coin. So if you need to invest that, when you have the authorization to build that, why would you fake try to fake the system? There's no incentive for you. You will not only lose the money because you invested, you won't have any money back, but also any coins that you may have in the past will devalue because you're hacking the, the system. And more than that, the validators won't let your block be added to the, to the blockchain because it doesn't comply with the rules. So that's how it creates the, the, the incentive. In proof of stake uh, is basically the, the punishment. In the proof of stake is different. For you to be able to be a miner, you don't need that high complexity power because it's not only about being the first to find the, the solution for that puzzle, but in order for you to be a miner, you need first to allocate X amount of coins so that if you try to cheat the system, you will uh, lose part, at least part or all of your coins that you put it has a kind of uh, a kind of collateral, let's say it. You need in order to be able. So this creates also already a, a kind of barrier for people to entry. Uh, but yeah, it's different. Of course, proof of work is very energy intensive. Proof of stake is less, but um, is also less decentralized uh, than proof of work so because of this barrier. Yeah, I see. I see. That makes sense. Um, but then, but then, of course, we have the environmental concerns. Why would you want to spend all of this energy that we really need to keep warm and to to live our lives every day? Why would you want to spend that on on essentially just printing money or or increasing the money supply? Not printing money. It's printing sound money. Uh, is so. Is is quality? Is once again is going to the quality of of money. Uh, yes, it consumes a lot of, uh, of electricity, but in fact, what most people don't know because it's not well communicated is a big part of the energy of uh, consumption of Bitcoin comes from renewable energies. There are some cases even that uh, some, um, say some traditional energy resources that, uh, for instance, in gas, that when you consume it, when there is a combustion, there is at least some part of it that is being released to the air and is being developed some solutions that you can use those things that otherwise will be wasted you can use it to mine bitcoin uh, but in fact it's very energy intensive but it is also one of the main forces for um, renewable energy because people are uh, and miners and people in this area are aware, aware of this uh, also, even in the, the, the market, there is a kind of premium for what is considered Bitcoin uh, green uh, uh, mined with uh, renewable energies. You can sell those Bitcoins with a premium compared to the normal price of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. um, so th there is some concerns, but in fact... Um, but this comes down to storage, well, right? So if we could store this energy instead... so. So the same, so so the same amount of energy right, uh, that, that is consumed by Bitcoin could also be consumed by 
doing something right now that we're doing with fossil fuels. And so instead, so basically what I'm saying is you could use that same renewable and so it's just using renewable energy doesn't mean that it's now free, right? Or that it's in a sense... No, no, it's not know, free, but it's driving innovation. Is once again, is driving innovation, is creating force for innovation in that area. But in fact, if we go into that discussion, there is a lot of other systems, other things that waste energy uh, doing less, uh, how can I say, less beneficial things. Uh, for instance, the traditional financial system wastes a lot of uh, energy to do um, the terrible, provide a terrible financial, well, terrible for most, for the 99, maybe awesome for the 1%. But they use a lot of energy? Why? They don't have this proof of work, right? Because if you go, don't forget, you need to consider the, all the computers, all the systems that all the, the, not only the central banks, all the retail banks, everything that is associated to that is a lot of energy also. But it's not about, the, the thing is, you, you need to look, when you look into energy, is okay, what is the output? I'm investing this amount of energy, what is the output I'm having for this, mm -hmm. for, from this? Sure, sure, sure. And in fact, the people that, that invest uh, because it's not cheap to mine Bitcoin. Uh, but in fact, Bitcoin network is the most secure and the most powerful network in the world, most powerful computer in the world. Um, we can see is, okay, is one thing they also discussed with some friends that are some projects trying to do this is, okay, so we understand that we need to, to have very high security, but... Uh, why can't we try to use that computational power to do more um, useful to, yes. to process more useful information? Yes. Yes. Uh, in fact, but in fact, in the case of Bitcoin, was not designed for that. Uh, in Bitcoin, um, the processing is in terms of ashes, not in terms of bytes, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, but there are other uh, distributed uh, ledger systems that are trying to provide a solution for for that so that uh, at least part of the processing capacity of the proof of work can be used to process other, uh, let's say, medical information, other mm -hmm. uh, science-related uh, information. So, uh, yeah, in, in fact, uh, it's something that, that people are aware, but we go back again. So proof of stake what is not the solution either, you say, because... because it, uh, it, the, the thing is, um, for me, I trust for sure. I prefer for a use case, money as use case, and for the, all the security, Bitcoin is Bitcoin, and I'm, I'm for proof of, of work. I prefer because it's the one that gives you more trust and more security to the network for sure. Um, but I think there is space also for proof of stake and other things like delegated proof of stake, that is a variation from proof of stake. There can be some uh, use cases that can be useful. Because otherwise, one thing is, okay, proof of work for a Bitcoin. Another thing is proof of work for all the distributed ledger networks. No, that will be completely waste of energy. That I would agree. Uh, but I think, and once again, it's, it's the innovation process. There are other kind of, um, because we are talking proof of work, uh, proof of stake. But there are also uh, other algorithms, um, proof of evidence, proof of other, there are other things that are being built. There are innovations being built to to create alternatives uh, for this consensus mechanism. Ethereum is changing to proof of stake, is that correct? E e yeah, it's uh, right in the middle of a fork. 
Well, Ethereum, it's like I said, it's a very good use case, but Ethereum has some some of the fundamentals behind Bitcoin that Ethereum doesn't have. Because, for instance, Ethereum, uh, this is the existing Ethereum is not the first original Ethereum. It's not the original blockchain itself. The the original is Ethereum Classic, but there was a, a case of a DAO that um, well, there was a scam project, and it was decided to um, retrace all the, those illegal transactions so that the scammer didn't get the, the money. But what happened, okay, you change, you go back, your ledger is not immutable anymore like the Bitcoin is. So what happened was a fork. So there is Ethereum and Ethereum Classic. Um, yeah, but Ethereum now is moving also to a proof of stake. Uh, for me, once in that part, it just um, I don't I, honestly I I don't trust that much. Uh, and the, if you go back to the basics, you cannot trust as much as the others because it adds another kind of centralization. Um, even in because even the decentralization, depending on the perspectives, you have different levels. Even Bitcoin, there is is the most decentralized of all of them. But it still has some points of centralization. For instance, most of the um, miner, mining power, the hashing power, is on Asian countries, or it used to be. Uh, so if we go into that, there is even some kind of decentralization. So it's a kind of... Uh, China disallowed that it, right? Did know. they not change a law uh, against that? Well, uh, China is a little bit more than that. They disallowed, they blocked, uh, we even make fun. China already uh, made illegal, I don't know how, how many hundred times Bitcoin, but in fact they they uh, they use it. They are aware of the importance. And what it happens, I think, it was last year or two years ago, there was many of the Chinese uh, miners, not the small ones, but there are some ones that even mine and they are related to the Chinese uh, state. What they did was the government try to pass the message they were banning but what they did was those companies open new companies in the US and pass their mining operations in there so they can benefit of not only not using their own Chinese energy but they are not emitting a carbon um, uh, dioxide so the the carbon codes the carbon credits so and but I'm talking about the biggest, uh, more um, gover Chinese government-related ones. But yeah, it happened. But they, they, they are aware of the importance and uh, they know. Also, you cannot completely ban Bitcoin from your country. You, you can take your co uh, country out of Bitcoin, but you cannot take Bitcoin out of your country. That's the importance of decentralization, then that everybody can have their own Bitcoin node. And unless they go after everybody and um, try to put in jail everybody that has a Bitcoin node, mm. they cannot. Uh, even if they close in China, there are nodes all around the world, so you cannot stop the network. The biggest threat for me that I see maybe is quantum computing. That, in fact, I think maybe uh, because once you have quantum computing, you can break the cryptography uh, behind the network and in that case, all the principles, all the rules uh, lose their value, lose the trust. Oh, so so once that happens, Bitcoin becomes useless and completely. Well, <laughs> the, 
the the truth that they're uh, the because like I said, is uh, I like I enjoy like very much Bitcoin, but I know we and we should be aware of what will be the risks of, of it. What what we normally think is in fact quantum computing is a very useful weapon, especially nowadays that many wars are done done uh, in a more technological way. Uh, so a country that will have that power probably won't use it for uh, to attack Bitcoin. They will probably use for with other purposes. And the other thing is, okay, once because almost all technology they were they first were military, then they were passed to the civil society. Once this start to pass to the, um, the quantum starts to come to uh, the the rest of the humans, we can start to use quantum processors adapted for the Bitcoin. Uh, but uh, we can start using it also to protect the Bitcoin network. Oh, I see. And even for that, there are some projects that are being built, but not on top of Ethereum, but separated currencies that are already trying to to put algorithms and mechanisms to protect from quantum computing. And also for Bitcoin, there are some discussions about possible improvements on the elliptic curve and other things that they are using so that can protect from quantum computing. But yeah, for me, I think it's the biggest threat. Yeah, I appreciate uh, I, exp- I appreciate that explanation. This is, I think, quite a unique, unique uh, perspective on on the quantum side because that I haven't even thought about this before. But of course, yeah, if you if you have quantum computer, computing, cryptography will, will become sort of uh, useless suddenly. If it would be available to me tomorrow or to to us tomorrow, whoever makes quantum real quantum computing available to 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 everyone. Yeah, if that happens at a, a really quickly, it could be that cryptocurrencies will be useless, right? At that moment, unless they themselves adopt it. Well, it's not only the cryptocurrencies. Don't forget, that almost all the, all IT systems will be useful, uh, well, because useless. useful. No, well, all come to useless because uh, all the encryption will be uh, will be unsafe. There are already some algorithms being worked for for this because this is a concern not for Bitcoin. This was a concern uh, even before, not only to to Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So it's a general IT uh, cybersecurity, let's say, uh, kind of problem. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but cryptocurrencies for sure. Um, there is one, at least that I know from, uh, it's not David Sean, I'm forgetting now the name of the person, but was also one of the, um, the people that created some of the inventions used by Bitcoin that is, uh, is working on a project to, to deal with that. But yeah, most of it's cryptocurrency because the cryptography won't be uh, secure anymore. But this is a general IT problem, not only for crypto. Right, makes sense. Makes sense. Well, this is pretty much covered quite a variety of, of topics here that are all related. Um, and yeah, I guess that's pretty much it for me in terms of the questions that I have. However, my audience might have questions for you. And uh, how would they find you? Uh, well, I'm a, can I say, I'm a kind of, once again, a privacy guy, so I normally, I don't use social networks. I see. Um, even in, yeah, I have, uh, I have my Twitter account, but I'm not that proactive in there. Um, so, 
honestly, again, I don't don't see any communication channel. I may may share it. Well, great. I'll I'll send, I'll send the links of the courses that you're taking um, underneath the, okay. uh, the you know in the comment section. And it was been very great. I think you you've helped me a great deal understand more about what the uh, you know these technologies are and and how they connect to together. I appreciate that greatly. And I guess that was uh, good for an episode. Thank you very much. This show is published every Wednesday at 5 a.m. New York time, 2 a.m. in Los Angeles, 10 a.m. in London. This podcast is published on YouTube in video format and in audio format on all major podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, and many others. Please subscribe now so that you don't miss any episodes and like a video that you like and, and give us a thumbs down if you don't like something. In any case, please leave us messages and let us know what you like and what you don't like so that we can improve the show. Next week, I will be meeting with Olivia Gamblin and I will be discussing with her her own conception of virtue ethics and as she applies it to AI. We have different types of intelligence, and one of the types of intelligence that we have as people is actually moral, ethical intelligence. And this is our ability to um, sense and feel, well, <laughs> both emotions, but also sense uh, morals. So the difference between right and wrong, good and bad. Um, our intelligence in being able to understand these, this dichotomy that exists in life, that's what is essentially our ethical intelligence. <laughs>